Welcome to our Halloween special episode of Pod People, the that- podcast where we talk about horror movies and everything horror related. I have with me uh, Eugene Lundin. Hello, hello. Happy Halloween. And Matisse Van Rossa. Hello. Ah! Whoa, who was that? Oh, just kidding. It was me. Oh, dude, don't don't do that. The episode just started. Can't scare me like that just yet. Jeez. But it's Halloween. Oh, that's right. Or at least it will be when people listen to this. Sh- shut up, Eugene. It's Halloween right now. Fucking you're right, right. I'm sorry. Every Happy Halloween, Halloween, everybody. Inside. It's a beautiful, sunny October 31st day. It is not raining at all. It's not Monday, October 23rd. That <laughs> is for sure. No, that was that was last week. So this is Halloween time. Yeah, we're we're here in the now. This is this is live actually if you didn't know. So if you're listening to this, hi Tyler. How are you? Hey Chad, we see you. We see all of you. Welcome to our Halloween spooktacular, where we'll be talking about Boo 2, a Medea Halloween. <laughs> where the that concept w- is scarier than the film could ever be. You could probably do a, an episode on Tyler Perry horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> It'd probably be awful, but... Oh yeah, it would be bad. Well, I mean, they're probably scarier than most horror movies that are out right now. I mean, yeah, true. Medea is pretty frightening. Never introduce myself. I'm Ben, and I am late to the party. Absolutely, <laughs> last one in, first one out. That's my mantra. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, speaking of Ben, do you have some news for us? I do. Uh, since we're talking about Halloween, no, we're talking about Medea. Medea's Halloween spectacular. Yes, yes. There we go. Uh, we have a new Halloween movie on the horizon starring Jamie Lee Curtis was announced for next year. No kidding, really? Yeah. Um, I I just saw the movie poster for this the other day, but other than that, I, I don't know shit about it, I must say. Yeah, it was mostly just the poster. Um, they haven't released any trailers or anything. It is directed by David Gordon Green, though, of oh, Pineapple really? Express fame. Okay. Which will be In- interesting. To say the least. Huh. He he directed some other, like, horror movie recently, didn't he? Really? Well, Maybe. if you consider the movie with Jake Gyllenhaal, the victim of the Boston Marathon bombing a horror film, then... Your Highness yeah. was pretty horrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that was really terrifying. Um, it's cool that Jamie Lee Curtis is in it, too. Uh, it's like, what, 40 years after the original yeah, and I guess so. On top of that, it's coming out on my birthday next year. Ooh, so. I know what we're doing. All right, Ooh. fantastic. Getting blackout drunk in the movie theater. Oh, yeah. Getting kicked out. Because those are the, always the best kind of people at the movies, the really drunk ones. So. Especially oh, yeah. at horror movies. <laughs> I said don't go in there. Oh, you <laughs> stupid bitch. Nothing makes for a better movie experience than somebody blackout drunk two rows ahead of you yelling at the screen and throwing up on the ground. And that'll be me. <laughs> yeah, we got to provide the... The, the extra entertainment, the interactivity. 
Look out, Michael. Jamie Lee's got a baseball bat. <laughs> You're going to be warning the serial killer? <laughs> yes. Somebody's got to look out for his best interests, too, man. Look out, Mikey. Mikey, watch out. Mikey, so no. Oh, no, Mikey. We're a team Mikey on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. I never liked Freaky Friday. I hate the remake. <laughs> Ooh, is Lindsay Lohan in this new Halloween movie? <laughs> I hope so. Me too, dude. I haven't seen her in anything in forever, and I think she'd make a really great addition to the Halloween franchise. Oh, my God. I I don't think she could be too picky in these days. Lindsay Lohan hasn't really done much in the past few years besides (laughs) cocaine. She can can play uh, the role of Michael Myers' mother in all the flashbacks. She'll take uh, Sherry Moon Zombie's place. Oh, well, it uh, it can be a debate on whether that would be an improvement or not over Sherry Moon Zombie. But we will get into that later. Let's just jump into the original Halloween. Yeah, there we go. This episode is going to be a shorter one, and we're going to be focusing on just one franchise of films, the Halloween series. Everyone knows it. Most people love it. And we decided to put in our two cents about the whole movie. And we're going to be starting off, of course, with the original, the 1978 film. By John Carpenter. We should probably keep it brief on the summary. Yeah, I think most people have probably seen Halloween. Right. At There's least, nothing at least horror to. fans. If you haven't, then you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. If you haven't seen it, the general gist is crazy psychopath named Michael Myers kills a bunch of people when he's very young. Well, no, he just kills his sister. True. Yeah, yeah in the in the original. We'll get into the remake, but yeah, in the original, he just kills his older sister on Halloween night when he's six years old. And uh, he's immediately locked up. But one night, Halloween night, 1978, Michael Myers breaks free. And he returns home to Haddonfield, Illinois. It's it's uh, not it's, it's a slasher movie. Yeah, it's I'm, not it's not complex. It's a big, scary, in, unstoppable killer um, wreaking some havoc on some teenagers. You know. Yeah. The legacy of this film is from the fact that so many of the tropes and techniques that were used in here were what sort of laid the groundwork for a bunch of other slasher movie monsters like Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger, things like that. Just teenagers getting murdered by an evil force. Yeah, you can't really say that this is the first slasher film because it was preceded by things like... uh, Like Black Christmas. Black Christmas in 1974 and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But those didn't really kickstart the slasher genre in the same way that uh, Halloween did. It was after this movie came out that we really started seeing an enormous influx of slasher films in the 80s. Which, I mean, you still gotta always give it credit for that. While it might not have created anything new, but allowed for a whole stream of other movies similar to it to come out and create many of the horror movie franchises that we know today. The devil's really in the details of this movie. Like, we we start with young Michael Myers, and it's all, like, POV as we follow him through the house. Which they uh, they make great use of uh, their steady cams. Apparently, almost half of the budget for this film was just used on the camera equipment, so... It was pretty low budget, all in all. Oh, yeah, yeah, but only about $300,000 at their time. I mean, inflated for today, that's only a little over a million. So still pretty impressive for any horror movie 
with that much impact to be made for so little. And you say half of it was used on the Almost about, cam? yeah. Wow. They And, I mean, it shows because the film looks really good and the fact that they have so many POV and tracking shots, it's uh, something that they definitely put time into and they wanted to make sure that with whatever budget they were working with, they could still make it look professional. So I think that's part of the success as well, that they were very smart with what they use their money on because it's pretty light the whole movie as a whole you don't even see much blood or guts or gore or anything like that no so. it's not a particularly gory movie yeah that kind of stuff really exploded more in the 80s as a horror fan i've seen this movie you know probably a dozen times at least and i imagine you guys have too well see this was actually one of the first times i've seen it all the way through so it really was, wow. it was a, an experience for me uh, a lot of things i i feel were pretty goofy in the whole thing but the fact that it's it was such a low budget film and has such a significance in the industry it's uh it's hard to overlook that sort of stuff well see this time when we were watching it i tried to look at it from the perspective of somebody seeing it in theaters like when it first came out knowing nothing like having no context for the killer michael myers anything like that which is of course hard because he's such an you know horror icon in this day and age and we've all like grown up knowing michael myers just like we know freddie and jason and leatherface but i thought uh what's really cool at the very beginning is we see it from michael myers perspective as he like watches his uh sister and her boyfriend like banging and then he leaves and then he goes in and kills her and we don't even see that he's a child until after the murder has taken place I, I think that that must have been really cool for people who didn't have any context to be like, oh, you know, this is a psycho killer coming in and murdering somebody. And then you see, oh, no, it's just a little six-year-old boy in a clown costume. I love the use of the mask in that scene, too. When uh, Michael puts on the mask and you can only see through the terrible oh, man, yeah. eye holes, um, it really kind of limits what you can see so it leaves a lot to the imagination which i think makes it a little more horrifying in a way i thought it was pretty goofy though how he grabs it and puts it on it's almost like he's equipping it like it's a game of doom or something like you have the sound that goes on as it's put over his face and it just uh, it's a little odd again i mean it was a low budget film and certainly doing that isn't very uh detrimental to the rest of the story just one of those it's a yeah they, a little they, they probably literally just put the the mask like right <laughs> right over, right over yeah. the lens of the camera um which but- we know we know someone that did that on one of their short films and I mean, we saw pictures of how it looked on the camera. It looked goofy as hell, so I can only imagine how it looked for them just having paper mache or something yeah, all a, over the a whole camera, lens. A camera wearing a clown mask. <laughs> I thought the limiting of the perspective was really smart, though. Yeah, and, well... And they do that a lot in subtle ways throughout the movie and how they leave a lot up to the imagination. I think a lot of that is probably uh, just, like, trying to creatively work around their uh, lack of budget since they can't really afford to do a whole lot of 
gore and stuff. I but... mean, yes and no, because I I think part of that is, you know, working within the realm of imagination. Because they do that a lot with the rest of the movie. You know, you see Michael Myers follow Jamie Lee Curtis' character in broad daylight the whole time. But you don't actually see him do anything for a while you know it's left to the imagination right well it he's obviously just like following her we don't other than the the first kill that sets it up at the very beginning yeah like i what it's probably at least halfway into the movie before he kills anybody in present day yeah that is one thing it certainly takes its time to build up everything and not just building up jamie lee curtis and her character also sort of laying down the reason why michael myers targets them in the first place because one of jamie lee curtis's friends like taunts michael myers as he's driving by in a car which i guess he can drive in this one even though he's been institutionalized since he was a kid but yeah i i always think that that's weird too but they even do uh mention it when he first escapes and donald pleasance is like we have to go after him i know where he's going and the guard is like oh but he can't even drive a car and donald pleasance is like oh but he's doing a pretty damn good job right he says that someone must have taught him and then it's just sort of yeah who would have like <laughs> oh okay like a janitor or something it's like all right mikey here's how you it use was, the stick shift it was danny trejo yeah. danny trejo <laughs> taught him to drive there's a an interesting comparison and we'll get into this a little bit more when we talk about the remake but a lot of the subtlety from this movie just was not existent in the remake yes and a lot of the effectiveness of this movie in terms of like horror and scariness worked because of how subtle it was i think yeah and i i think you're right i think it's a it's a combination of uh limited budget and also just trying to be a little bit more subtle with it but also like you know this is the late 70s there's not a whole lot of like really gratuitously gory movies out there to begin with um texas chainsaw gets pretty gory for its time around the end and uh alien obviously but that came out out a year after this so you could even say i mean the exorcist certainly it's tame compared to today's standards but that had some pretty extreme scenes within it as well i mean with uh linda blair stabbing herself in the crotch and i think there was certainly uh an amount of violence and gore that was making its way into mainstream horror films but i mean nothing like we know it as today right yeah it's totally uh it different context at that time um there's nothing wrong with that you don't you definitely don't need uh you know an outpouring of blood which i think is also horror movie it shows a uh, a level of intelligence with the film and how they're trying to do it because they use the fact that they're on a low budget and that they may not have enough for the effects of gore or blood or that matter and they use it to good effect to try and just keep things subdued and to make it more of a slow burn rather than just a all up in your face gore or anything like that. I think this film uses, uh, makes really great use of uh, perspective. We see so much of the movie from Michael's perspective, um, from his point of view. And this wasn't brand new. Like, they, they really uh, did a lot of that in Black Christmas, which is a fucking awesome movie. I love that movie. But that one really didn't have the same uh, cultural impact as this movie did. No, well, it's interesting because... 
apparently John Carpenter, he was a big fan of Black Christmas, and he had actually... It shows. He had first intended to try and do some sort of sequel or uh, something branching off that movie, but then this turned into its own creation, and, well, who knows how it would have been different if it were Black Christmas 2 instead of its own Halloween movie. I mean, we wouldn't have the iconic Michael Myers, which also we don't even see in the mask until, like, maybe the last 40 minutes of the film. Well, no, that's not true. When he's uh, following Jamie Lee Curtis around, he's wearing the mask although we never we only see him from a distance like when she looks out the window of her classroom and he's across the street or he's standing like in her backyard or uh behind the hedge so it's like you can't really see the mask too well um so you don't really get a good impression of it until much later in the movie but he's got it on the whole time that's true but when you have the full i guess reveal when you can sort of take in his whole appearance that that happens much later Right, film. and I I think that that's uh, a really good uh, pacing in terms of the reveal because I think it's cool that he is just sort of out in broad daylight in the beginning and like stalking these girls, but we really don't see him too well because he's always so far off. So it's like you get an impression of what he's like, but you don't really get a full understanding until you see him much later on. It's kind of like, I mean, I know this came out afterwards, but with the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I mean, we know Freddy Krueger now. We know what he looks like, and he's a a goofball and all the others. But in the first, he's shrouded in a bunch of darkness. He actually is much more of a sinister villain than I think a lot of people remember him as. For the most part. There's still a couple of humorous things in the original. Right, but, but I oh, think sure. it's, it's certainly played much straighter than a lot of the other movies take yeah. him in. I mean, nothing close to the power glove or anything <laughs> of that matter, so. I do love how Michael Myers is in broad daylight, though. Like, I feel like it's an easy out to just hide your villain in the shadows. Carpenter in this movie was like, fuck that, we'll put Michael Myers broad daylight, you know, everyone can see him, he doesn't care. Yeah, it, and it's and it's all about perspective because you do still not really uh, get, like I said, the best impression of him until later. But they're not afraid to show him early on, you know. And I I believe uh, the the actor playing Michael Myers in the mask is just credited as the shape. I think. Uh, yeah, which is. Odd, because near the end of the film, you get to see Michael Myers' face, just for a quick second. Yeah, very briefly. And I guess that's not the same actor who's been playing Michael Myers in the rest of the movie, and so they're credited as two different people. Yeah, they're credited separately, and the one who you only see for a second when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis pulls his mask off is credited as Michael Myers. Which is and a shame. Other, yeah, it's it's kind of weird, I think. I heard they had to switch people out, like, weekly to play Michael Myers oh, because really? of scheduling conflicts. <laughs> Well, it certainly makes it easy just to have someone who's covered head to toe. He doesn't have any distinctive features. As so. Other than his height, he's tall. Right. Know, as long as they can get somebody okay. of similar height Get him height elevator boots or something. Yeah. <laughs> what did you and guys think of the mask in this one? 
the the William Shatner mask. Well, I think white. it's because apparently they were experimenting with a lot of other masks. At first, it was going to be more of just like a clown mask that might have ruined the movie. I think if they did that, one great thing about that mask is it's so plain, it's so unreadable, and so it's you, expressionless. Yeah, yeah, you can't. You don't think that it's funny, or you don't think that it's not even truly scary. The mask itself, the the real fear, if anything from it is just that you can't understand anything that's going on within his head because it's so just right it just it just looks like a person's face just without any sort of expression i i do think it's funny that this was just a a fucking uh william shatner captain kirk mask that they went out and bought and doctored a little bit i think it's pretty unrecognizable but that being said I wonder if when this movie came out in 78, if people were going to the movie and seeing it and be like, is he wearing a William Shatner mask? I don't think so. I, I heard a story that Shatner himself didn't even know it was oh. a Shatner mask until like a decade or two later. Yeah, well, I mean, they did some stuff to it. Like, I think they spray painted it white and, uh, you know, messed up the hair and stuff. So it doesn't, it really doesn't look like Shatner, but, you know, that's a creative workaround when they couldn't do what they originally wanted to do. Fuck it. Just go out and buy a fucking uh, Captain Kirk mask and make do with that. Right, which again just shows that they thought this out. I mean, at least to the point where they were able to overcome hurdles with costume design. I mean, even Jamie Lee Curtis, apparently she had to buy her own wardrobe for this film. I've always heard the production of this movie was was kind of a hot mess with all kinds of scheduling conflicts and budgetary constraints and shit like that, which I mean, I guess any good film is always going to be fraught with that kind of stuff you know what's weird to me about jamie lee curtis in this movie is she was the only teenager of the three to actually be a teen in the movie she looks yeah, she looks, she looks like the oldest <laughs> she always looks old yeah i mean i guess that's the curse of jamie lee curtis just having kind of an old looking face and I, it is it is significant to note that this was her like debut film role, right? Yes, yeah. uh, all thanks because of her mother. Yep, Vivian Lee, the the woman who gets murdered in Psycho. Yep, because of that, she was able to get this. And probably just help propel her career forward. I oh, mean, yeah. She... Like, Jamie Lee Curtis is like the original Scream Queen, man. With all of the trouble that you hear within production, it doesn't show very much in the movie itself. No, it's pretty tight. I think that just goes to show that John Carpenter is a really good filmmaker. Right. I know Assault in Precinct 13 was made for even less than this movie was. And so it seems like he really understood how to work on a budget. And the fact he did the music as well for it shows that he really went all in to try and make this movie. And while, shit, everyone knows the Halloween theme, it's so so iconic. I mean, yeah, and, and I know that he himself never thought that that theme would become so iconic. He really just threw it together super quickly. You know, I think, again, scheduling problems. He didn't have a whole lot of time to do the score for this, so he just kind of, like, threw it together. And now that's, uh, that's a, little, a little piece of music music you know just like the jaws theme that anybody hears it and they know exactly what it's from it has such a a legacy of its own at this point well the thing about john carpenter's scores in general are they're usually pretty minimal but because they have a strong melodic
melodic theme to them. They usually become pretty iconic. Always really catchy. Yeah. But I guess one thing I want to talk about before we move on is when Michael Myers' mask is removed at the end. A lot of audiences found his actual face really horrifying. I've always thought he looks kind of derpy. I guess people thought he looked horribly disfigured, but they actually didn't do much to his face besides put maybe like a little mark for where he got like scratched or whatever. Um, yeah, that's so that's just, just his that's face. That's just how he looks. Um, Carpenter uh, attributed it to like power of suggestion, which I guess can really be the mantra of this whole movie. Like power of suggestion, keeping things subtle really works in your favor. Oh yeah. Um, I know. I agree. He puts a good amount of effort into making Michael Myers just a completely unsympathetic character and to show that he is remorseless or that he is evil. And so that way, when he does escape, the limits of what he may do were known to be that he, he'd do some pretty awful things, but we don't know what they're going to be until he starts to get closer and closer to these teens. Well, I think that's what makes him such a scary uh, character, too, is that we never, at least in this movie, we never really learn anything about him, who he is. Other than that when he was six, he killed his sister and that he's been in an insane asylum for years. And according to his doctor, he's pure remorseless evil. Other than that, we know nothing. And so that once again leaves uh, a lot open to interpretation so you can really sort of project your own fears onto him. He's very much a blank slate. He's an unstoppable force that you can, you know, really think anything you want about. Anything is within the realm of possibility with him, especially because, you know, he gets shot and falls off the uh, balcony at the end, and then he just gets up and walks away. Like, is he even really a man, you know? Well, I think that's a good point you make, the um, projecting your own fears onto this, because it would explain how promiscuous teens go out and do immoral acts with each other, and then Michael Myers comes to murder them, and so it's caused a lot of people to take it as sort of a commentary on the deviancy that the youth commit. One reason people feel that way is because Jamie Lee Curtis's character, she's the one character in this who doesn't have a boyfriend and so a lot of people have taken it as a sense of purity. And that's become a, a major theme in horror films throughout the years. Which um, is interesting because John Carpenter didn't even intend for that to happen. His idea was just, well, sometimes teens are just so caught up in trying to fuck that they don't pay attention to the world around them and so it leaves them open for attack. Right, and you know, that's once again uh, intention versus intention interpretation like that's the way john carpenter intended it but that's not the way a lot of people in the world interpreted it and because of that um in a lot of you know horror movies after this and even a couple before this you know it's always the ones who are uh off having sex or getting drunk or doing drugs they're always like the first ones to get killed Although what I do like in this is that because John Carpenter wasn't intending for uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character to be, like, pure or anything, that he doesn't push that too far other than the fact that she just doesn't have a boyfriend and she's not off getting laid. But she is, you know, early in the movie driving around with one of her friends smoking a joint, so... Which is a great scene. Yeah, it's to, awesome. Uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, which I, I, I think was a little dated now. Yes. But I think at the time, having Don't Fear the Reaper 
crew played while Michael Myers is driving behind them. Yeah, it works. It works really well. Uh, and that's one of those things that's sort of an unnecessary callback in the remake when they keep playing Don't Fear the Reaper every time Michael Myers is like nearby. Oh, God. Yeah, um, but we're going to have to. Right. We'll we'll get into that. We have. Uh, yeah, yeah I certainly have a lot to say about that one. So. There's definitely plenty of corny stuff in this original one. And for all its subtlety, there are certain things that are a little heavy handed. I think the the best example, at least for me, is when Jamie Lee Curtis is in class and her super boring deadpan teacher is like giving a lecture on fate or something. I don't remember the writer that they're talking about, but talking about how you can't escape your fate and that fate is uh, an unstoppable force that will just keep coming no matter how long you try to run from it. It's like, oh, well, that's Michael Myers then, isn't it? But, you know, that's... Th- those are minor things that I you know, I think are a little goofy. They make you roll your eyes a little bit, but overall don't really uh, hurt the film as right. a whole. Because again, there's, there's so much to appreciate about this movie and the amount that they put into it shines through and really helps to elevate the movie from any other slasher film that you may see. It's certainly, it's it's a smart movie. It, it has some goofy moments, but it understands what it's trying to do. And for the most part, I think it does it pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Um, and we'll, of course, be going back more to talk about things from this movie uh, as we compare it to the remake but before we get into that do you guys just want to go ahead and give this a quick rating sure yeah um, yeah. i would give this a five out of five pods yeah me too easy five out of five it's uh despite the you know the little corny things here and there it's still extremely entertaining it's a really tight film straightforward narrative done really well and you know, has spawned a legacy that will never die, much like Michael Myers himself. So five out of five for me. I do think the movie is great. I think one trouble is that it's hard to look at this movie because of everything that came after it. When you watch it, you can't help but just feel like it's hitting all of the notes that every other slasher movie that you may see hits. And that's because, I mean, it laid the groundwork for a lot of those. And so I think a lot of people might feel bored or underwhelmed by this film, but to take into account its low budget and the fact that there was just so much skill that seems to be put into this. I mean, the fact that they they understood that the money should go into making the movie look good and then to try and craft it around that. And so I think for me, it is hurt a bit just because it is certainly dated now because of all the other movies that have come out, but I'm going to give it a four and a half. So, all right. so almost a perfect five. Almost a perfect score. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to bring it down one, but, but uh, it's okay. Armand White. <laughs> <laughs> so this ain't no Suicide Squad. <laughs> So that'll give us a uh, an average rating of 4.8 pods, so very, very high. So now let's get into the remake oh, yes. and compare that. Um, this remake came out in 2007, directed by Rob Zombie, and um, 
for the most part, I'd say the whole central story is almost exactly the same as the original. You know, so even some of the shots are the same. But outside of that, we get this extremely long uh, backstory of Michael Myers at the beginning, uh, where we see that he comes from a sort of white trash household. His stepdad is uh, abusive, uh, both physically and emotionally. His mom is a stripper. His sister is uh, a bitch, I guess. She's just like super mean to him. And uh, he's bullied at school a lot. So uh, bullied by the fucking Judy from Spy Kids, Daryl Sabara. (laughs) Bullied by Junie from Spy Kids. Um, Having to grease your face every time you see him on screen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at at the beginning, we see him killing his pet rat and then he gets in a fight at school and the principal calls his mom and shows him (laughs) shows her that he's been carrying around a dead cat in his backpack she reacts to very calmly she's she's not concerned about that at all she's like so what he found a dead cat just a dead cat (laughs) kids do that we've all we've all carried around a dead cat before come on sometimes you see a squirrel on the ground you just want to swing it by its tail or something and throw it at a building just come on fun with dead animals and then he uh he beats Junie from Spy Kids to death with a log in a uh, very protracted sequence that lasts fucking forever. And then on Halloween, goes out trick-or-treating and then comes back and murders his whole family except for his mom. Oh, and and his his baby oh, sister. Oh, and and the and the baby sister. Which okay. already, I mean, they're they're ranking up the kill count from 1 to right. to 3 yeah, right in, over there. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, uh Oh yeah, I guess it's three. Cause and I guess, I guess depending on how many animals you can consider build up to one. Because I guess he did murder a lot of cats. And Rob Zombie goes out of his way in this movie to make the family just the most hateable family. Right, though. just absolute scummy trash. Whereas in the first or the original one, we really only see his sister at the beginning and her boyfriend, but they seem to live in a perfectly average middle-class household, nothing wrong. You know, this seems like uh, trying a bit too hard to give Michael Myers, like, a backstory. Yeah, that's one of the biggest missteps I think Rob Zombie took with this because he wanted to try and make it his own, and he specifically wanted to try and explain more of Michael Myers, which is one of the reasons why Michael Myers is so interesting as a character that you don't know anything about him. All you know is that he's capable of this evil and you don't know why. And so that unknowing means he has the potential for everything. Where in this, they just sort of make him uh, just a abused kid who later in the film basically has the mentality of the 12-year-old or whatever, how old he was when the first scene happens. Yeah, and also what... Like, this whole entrance, intro sequence, I don't think it's poorly executed by any means. Like, it's fine from a filmmaking standpoint. It just seems really unnecessary. Because it, we're, we've already been shown, even in this, that Michael Myers is a psychopath. That he is killing animals, and he kills his bully, and he's just totally remorseless. So why do we need to have him, like, have this really trashy, you know, abusive family? 
because he he would be a psycho regardless, you know? They they explain too much why. They try to justify why Michael Myers does what he does in a lot of ways. And right, this which... One, which Two isn't statue. the point of, of any of these movies. It's not to understand why Michael Myers is doing this. It's to escape him. It's to, to run away from this this monster. Yeah, I think I think characterizing him too much actually makes him less scary. Well, yeah, because when you explain why he does it, you know, you can't be scared of what you know. Right. You know, it's harder to be scared of Michael Myers in this movie. Also, Michael Myers talks at a young age a lot, which is very right. strange to me. Because otherwise, he's always been a completely silent killer. And he still is as an adult in this one. But as a kid, he talks a lot. And I think that that hurts him, too. All right, because unfortunately, the kid that's playing Michael Myers is, isn't really very good. I mean, hey, that's just the problem with child actors sometimes. But... But it seems like he because he wears a mask a lot in his uh, in his childhood scenes. And so it almost feels like they did it. So they didn't have to worry about having just a because he seems like he has a blank expression on his face almost every other time you see his his actual face right. on screen. And well, it's just after after he kills uh, his whole family, except for his mom and his uh, baby sister, apparently the only two people he's capable of loving, he gets taken away. And in this one, the uh, the psychiatrist role, Donald Pleasance, is played by uh, Malcolm McDowell. Before we get into that, I want to talk about how great William Forsyth is as, as the crippled dad. Okay, oh because, oh man, he does a great performance. He does, but he's just so cartoonishly terrible. Yeah, he is so cartoonishly terrible, but that's why it's pretty hilarious. No, it's it's extremely funny. Like when he's fighting with the mom and, at the breakfast table at the beginning, he says, I'm gonna crawl over there and skull fuck the shit out of you. <laughs> He, like, throws everything off the table and just watches her as she picks it up. Like, yeah. There's some there's some really funny details in that. They and, use him well. And talking about his stepdaughter, she's like, oh, she's got a nice little donk on her. Just like, it's so fucking terrible and douchey, but really hilarious at the same time. Yeah, it seems odd, Rab Zombie's choice or decision to make the family so unsympathetic because it honestly could have worked if they were a regular family, but Michael Myers still acted the same way because you would still have to wonder why he was so evil and right. not explain it oh he's in an abusive family that's what I'm saying like yeah. he's still a psycho regardless and I think to have him come from a loving well adjusted family would make him even scarier because if he kills all of them then he really is, just does it for fun you know but it feels in this one like vengeance whenever when he's like killing his bully and killing his abusive dad or stepdad and his uh bitchy sister and her gross boyfriend like it all it all feels like vengeance but then later he's killing people for no reason yeah so it's like we don't why do we need to have all of these people be so terrible and hateable i think that's that's just kind of a thing that rob zombie does yeah he just sleazes totally in his wheelhouse yeah he loves like really really sleazy characters and i 
I think that it's detrimental sometimes because then there's there's no dichotomy because everybody is just a total sleaze bag. You need some good people to balance it out, you know? Right, yeah, or else it's all just caricatures at a certain point. Yeah. You just don't know how to write characters. Right, and like he he does sleazy people really well. Like he's super good at it. But even, like, Michael's uh, mother, who is, like, one of the only good characters, and she ends up killing herself because she feels, you know, guilty that she's raised a psycho, she's just super flat. Like, she's very, you know, she's she's a sweet character. She's good to Michael. She's the only one who doesn't shit on him constantly. Right, but that's sort of but just, like, the bar that's set. He, right. She just isn't the absolute worst to Michael. Yeah, she's she's flat and uninteresting because of it yeah the only other foil to that kind of is malcolm mcdowell a little bit but he's still pretty sleazy and how obsessed and congratulatory is towards his own work right well he he definitely exploits having worked with michael myers you know in into his book and so he's 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 definitely exploitative but we get a little bit more of their relationship um which is one of the things one of the few things that i think actually kind of worked in this movie because in uh the original donald pleasance is just like oh yeah i will i've been studying michael for 15 years he's pure evil just that's it whereas with malcolm mcdowell he actually seems to care kind of when michael is first admitted it is a little weird though that they decide to have him show up before michael's even institutionalized and so they can say oh he's been close to him ever since he was in school and stuff. It just feels odd. Why is he going out of his way to talk to some some kid in middle school that well he hasn't... he first he first shows up with his super seventies haircut uh Yes, when which is, it looks when great and trashy, right? When the principal calls in uh, Michael's mom to talk about like all the Polaroids of dead animals that Michael's carrying around, and he's like, "Oh, here's Doctor Loomis. He's a child psychologist." And then after Michael kills everybody, then he like gets assigned to him or whatever. I, I think all of the stuff at the asylum when Michael is a kid is really unnecessary. Oh, um, that that's some of the the worst parts yeah. of this entire movie yeah. because. They make it so that he has an obsession with masks, and they do it in a very awful way, I think, just to say, oh, I use this to hide myself, and it's like, okay. Yeah, well, we didn't need that. We already got him wearing a mask during the first kills. Right, he's wearing his clown mask, which the, I think is the exact same clown mask. Well, no, mask wasn't he wearing the oversized oh. Michael Myers oh, mask? Oh, yes, yes. For, the way they introduced the mask part of it. is fucking part of terrible. It, yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, he starts off wearing the clown mask because yeah. he's dressed like a clown for Halloween. Which and apparently I, was supposed to be closer to what they had intended for the original Michael, Michael Myers mask to be. They oh, wanted God. it to be more of the I'm so clown glad they yeah, no, that, good. Uh, they dodged a bullet on that yeah. one. That would have been awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, then then uh, when his sister and her boyfriend are having sex, the boyfriend puts on the fucking Michael Myers mask. Which is which, just so dumb. It's yeah, a dumb way it to doesn't, introduce the it's fucking... It's so stupid. And also it raises the questions like, is Halloween canon in Halloween? Or is this just some dumb looking mask that he got at the store? Time is a flat circle. Yeah, basically. <laughs> 
Uh, and and he's like, come on, babe, I want to wear the mask while we do it, which I thought was really funny. But yeah, that's that's a good point to bring up is after Michael uh, kills the stepdad, he goes up to his sister's room and finds the mask lying on the floor and he puts it on. Which is, it's, it's way too big. It's way too him. big. He looks like he's got a giant head and it's so funny. I, yeah. I couldn't take any of that shit seriously where he's like chasing her down the hall and like stabbing her over and over again and he just looks like a bobblehead. Yeah, bad move to put in a wide shot. (laughs) (laughs) Really terrible. (laughs) Yeah, that was was probably one of the most uh, ill-informed decisions they could have made. Man, it was so funny. (laughs) It was was hilarious. And that's, that's an important thing to note about this movie is that a lot of the shit that they do is extremely unnecessary, but at the same time, really really entertaining well it's it's weird because you know i don't think intention really matters as long as the end product is something but it poses a question do you think rob zombie intended stuff like that to be funny no no i do not no no i don't believe because that a lot of his other movies have a lot of humor in them in similar ways like between house of a thousand corpses and devil's rejects i haven't actually seen either yeah of those but movies, i feel so. like if I, I assuming that he's a fan of the halloween series Series that he wouldn't want to try and do anything like that to turn the mask and the character Michael Myers into a joke. I think he'd be more sensitive to it. And certainly with the time that he puts into building up this family, while it isn't good, it shows that he wanted to try and explain Michael Myers in a way and actually provide a backstory and so yeah it's it comes across like he he's taking it very seriously like he obviously loves the franchise and I can appreciate that he wants to add to it and expand on it I think it's good intention for the most part is this the problem that all of his choices really are detriments to the film than they are yeah a lot of a lot of what he does is extremely detrimental and all of the subtlety that we talked about in the original is gone completely it like this one is is gratuitously violent uh some pretty entertaining kills some you know good good effects good gore um but yeah it doesn't uh he All doesn't the leave subtlety is just ripped yeah. from it he does yes. he does not leave very much up to the imagination and that's all. what that's what makes the mental uh, hospital that he's at those scenes just so much more they the way they drag is they spend so much time just trying to explain Michael Myers but it's done in a very boring way it just yeah. c- keeps cutting between interviews with uh, the kid and Malcolm McDowell and then it will cut over to just footage of Michael Myers with masks which are some of the dumbest looking masks I don't know how they got it in their head that it would be a good idea that he has an obsession with creating masks yeah I think it's supposed to be because he's a kid so these are a lot of them are like very childish looking masks but, but I think it's that problem that it just it's too goofy I get that it's it is made by a kid but it is goofy they, I'm not I'm not disputing that at yeah, all it's they, they should have put a little more thought into him because it looks like he's just wearing paper plates on his face or yeah, something like yep. that it's so unimpressive and he's got he's got like that long stringy blonde hair yes oh it just doesn't look great at no all. and fucking uh, Sherry Moon zombie his mom coming to visit him and like walking around and she tries to take off his mask and he just like put my mask back on <laughs> yeah. 
please put my mask back on. I guess it's supposed to be like the reason he stops talking is because he's so isolated at this. Well, one of the things that really triggers it off is there's a whole subplot with Danny Trejo, with Danny Trejo being his friend. And the first time we see Danny Trejo, he tries to comfort Michael Myers. He's by like saying, one of the he's like one of the guards or the janitor yeah. or something. You just have to live inside the world of your head. I was I was a convict too. Right, he's like, I've been locked up before. I know what it's like. I did some time five. behind walls too, Mikey. You just gotta live in your head. Which he maybe takes not as super the, serious. Not the best advice to give to a mental patient. Yeah. You just gotta think in your head, man. You gotta ignore the outside world. Bad advice to give to yeah. a psychopath, and that's even if he's just what a child. Sets off the mask thing in a lot of ways. But, oh man, the, all of the masks are bad. We get to a scene where they're like talking over lunch and Mikey is refusing to talk to either uh, Sherry Muzambi or uh, Malcolm McDowell. And they both kind of leave and for some reason they gave him metal silverware. Yep, they were at lunch and they and they gave a mental patient, a dangerous mental patient, metal silverware. And he stabs one of the nurses in the neck with his fork. Right, a nurse that, I mean, she's like, okay, I'll be here, but I'm going to look in this direction. Yeah, she, she, turns, she turns her back on, uh, on a dangerous mental patient. That was the impression that I got from this whole uh, insane asylum or psychiatric hospital or whatever, is that every single person working there should not have been working there <laughs> all awful at their all jobs. just so bad at their jobs like danny trejo giving him really bad advice uh malcolm mcdowell just leaving him alone with a metal fork uh the nurse for turning her back on him and then later when when he's an adult that they've got like the two other uh guards who are just, just a bunch of racists once again the, sl- the and... sleaziest possible people like the kind of people who would never ever be hired for a job like like that and they lead to his escape because they decide to rape one of the new female patients but they have they decide they want to do it in michael myers room which goes on for too long it goes I mean, on for they... too long and also it doesn't make any sense makes no sense like they they open up his cell they leave the door open they're raping this woman on his bed while he's just sitting there and they're not paying him any attention at all they're just berating him. And he's not even binded or anything. He has, no, like, he's handcuffs. No, not, he's not but... handcuffed. He's a fucking uh, big old giant scary dude. Well, his room is just covered in all the masks, and I thought that was really stupid, too. That was dumb. And, yeah, and, and so they just, you know, think that everything's gonna be okay. So he, of course, murders the shit out of them easily and escapes. Which well, I love... it's funny because he doesn't respond at all during the rape. Right, he lets it finish. It's basically over by the time that he gets... He only responds when they touch his mask. When one of them puts on one of his masks, yeah. Yeah. Then he murders the shit out of them. Which shows just more of his, like, the man-child mentality they seem to give Michael Myers. Well, it's funny, too, because one of the the guards, it was, like, his first day, and they were introducing his cell, Michael Myers' cell, and they were like, oh, be super careful, He's he's a killer, and then immediately later that night, they break in and 
yeah. just let and him leave, escape. And like, yeah, he's he's not cuffed or bound in any way, and they just leave his door open as well, the door to his cell. It's just so dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Especially uh, when they're looking over the security footage, Malcolm McDowell is telling them, how did you let him get away? And they're it's like, like, well, you well we see. Us. He was so tough. It's like, you you have it on camera, I imagine, if you looked at the footage. Your workers going and grabbing a woman from her cell and taking her to Michael Myers. So it seems like one of those weird, dumb, just phrases that makes no sense if you remember how yeah. everything happened. No, that's a great point. The warden tells Malcolm McDowell, well, if he was so, if you didn't think our security was good enough, then you should have said something. Like, this kid has been there for like 18 years he murdered his whole family murdered a nurse with a fork like he's already proven himself to be completely unstable like you should know you should just know this man i was mad that they killed uh danny trejo's character me too me too he did nothing well he did something wrong (laughs) i think it i think it was just to further show that uh michael myers has no remorse or doesn't care about anybody because the whole time he's killing Danny Trejo uh he keeps being like I was good to you Mikey <laughs> yeah Mikey why Mikey why I was good to you and it's like yeah he was good to Mikey and Mikey still murders the shit out of him so which, yeah we we know Michael Myers kills people and has no remorse which again Congrats. I think is 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 an odd flaw because even with all the murders they do have some sense of reason behind it usually relating to a sister like well that one the the friend of his sister he murders is taunting him out on the streets just calling him a fuck bag and then he murders the parents of his you know the, the right well that's that's sister. an that's uh, an important thing that we should uh provide some context for is that the laurie character who's played by uh jamie lee curtis in the original turns out to be Michael Myers's uh, baby sister, which the one from the beginning, apparently was something that was introduced during Halloween H two O and wasn't mm. put in any of the others, and so it's this weird retcon that uh, a lot. Some of the films in the Halloween franchise aren't even part of that timeline because they don't introduce that idea. Right. Well, the sequel to this remake that Rob Zombie did is once again about him trying to come after his sister, um, but in this. one one, Michael Myers' motivation is he's going back to Haddonfield to find his sister. Um, well, another thing that sets him off, too, is uh, Sherry Moon Zombie brings a picture of him and his baby sister. Right to the to the prison and that's why he stabs the woman with the fork um, yeah because she because she says something like that's a cute baby couldn't be related to you <laughs> <laughs> word to the wise don't goad psycho killers D- don't insult them yeah, right. that's a bad idea um yeah i mean i think we can for the most part pretty well gloss over the the whole middle section because like i said it's, it's basically the same yeah. it's 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 note for note the original movie uh the spooky house the spooky house uh the the kills are a little more graphic and gratuitous but for the most part it's the same you know what it was lacking for me was that open palm slaps yes oh you're so right because in the original he just like slaps his way through everything like (laughs) the car window and he escapes at the beginning like the door later like he's not even punching he's just open hand slapping his way through things 
And there's none of that in this yeah. remake. The one thing they did try and rectify was that Michael Myers doesn't drive a car in this one, so they knew that that was a big plot hole in the first film, so. I thought it was dumber because he didn't, though, because, like, he takes this huge headstone and just, like, carries, carries it, it for miles yeah. on foot. I I'd still uh, would have really loved in the original if it had been realistic when uh, he steals the car, and it was the 70s, so it was probably a stick shift that he's just, like, scooting up the street like very slowly <laughs> just like stalling out every few feet because he's never driven a fucking you car before. You hear the car grinding <laughs> the whole way. And then at some point he just gives up and gets out and runs away. I thought that would have <laughs> been really good. Okay, so yeah, like I said, we can pretty much gloss over the middle because it's all about the same. Cast-wise and acting-wise, I, f- I think this movie's Pretty decent for the most part. I mean, like, really, Malcolm McDowell shines as Malcolm the McDowell shines. Uh, I I love Brad Dorif as the sheriff. That's right, because uh, yeah. I love Brad Dorif. He he has a much larger role in the second movie. I don't know the the big guy who plays Michael doesn't you know he doesn't talk at all he's just in the mask. Um, oh yeah, well we should mention that when he goes back to the house after he escapes, he goes into the basement and like pulls up the floorboards and he's got the knife and the old Michael Myers mask hidden there. Right, which again are they trying to make some sort of point like it's some quasi-sexual thing, his obsession with the mask, because even before he murders his sister in the beginning, he's, like, touching her legs and stuff. Yeah, and just... I, I don't know about that. I think the I think it's more so an excuse for them to have the, the mask look worn and torn. So yeah, it looks, but it's a shame so it looks that... edgier. It's, like, the fact that it's a mask that his sister's boyfriend had, right. and he has a, an attachment to it for some reason. It just... It's nonsensical it yeah it is pretty nonsensical um i also couldn't help but notice that uh when he puts on the michael myers mask uh his long stringy hair just kind of disappears because it should be like it should be like poking out the bottom of the mask but puts it in a man yeah he tucks he tucks (laughs) his uh he tucks his gross hair up into the mask uh i i know that's just a super minor thing but i was i noticed it every time he showed up on screen i'm like where's his gross hair yeah well he lets his bangs grow out over his eyes even like put up like those eye holes aren't that big to begin with you're <laughs> no, gonna uh, be struggling yeah, there he would, bud he, yeah he would have some uh some pretty impeded visibility but yeah the, it it goes through the same basic plot until the end where the original one ends they do the same thing uh where it's malcolm mcdowell and laurie in the car and she says uh is that the boogeyman or something and he's like as a matter of fact i do believe it is which is like the exact same line from the original which would have been good if they ended it if they just ended it there like they did in the original unfortunately there are like 20 more minutes yeah then then michael comes back after being shot a few times and then chases laurie around for like another solid 20 minutes that just does not need to be there at all right where you know in the first halloween it's all very slow there's not a lot of big set pieces anything of that matter whereas this one the last 20 minutes is all just one unnecessary chase scene it feels so out of place, not because it doesn't flow with the rest of the movie, but that it has no reason to be there. Right. It's it's just 
an excuse to add some more of uh, Michael, like, breaking stuff. Which I think, unfortunately, shows some of the fundamental problems that there are with Rob Zombie remaking the Halloween movie, is that he puts too much into it, whereas the first film was all about what wasn't seen or what wasn't put in there. Right, it's like we said earlier, the the subtlety is just gone. Um, And then it does end with, uh, sort of in the same way with Laurie... uh, tackling him off the balcony or no he just gets shot off the balcony in the first one right yeah he just yeah. Gets yeah. shot off this okay, one yeah in this one she charges at her and they both they get both fall off. off the balcony and then they struggle for a second and then she it ends with her uh shooting him in just the head blowing up his fucking face which blood splattering all over which her. there 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 is a sequel to this one and honestly it's been a while since i've seen it i don't remember how they retcon the fact that he literally got shot in the face in the last one i i don't i would have to watch that movie again but uh as opposed to uh the 1978's tight 90 minute runtime this one adds an additional 30 minutes of totally unnecessary bullshit on both ends it seems on both ends and the the climax of the film yeah well we've got we've got like the like the 30 minute uh backstory at the beginning and then the extra like 15 20 minutes of bullshit at the very end so they they shorten the the main part of the story for the most part and i you know that's that's really the meat of it and that's what it should stick to like i said none of it none of it is really bad from a filmic standpoint like it's all shot pretty well like the action's good but it just doesn't it just feels unnecessary at a certain point you're just like why are they doing this well in that way i think i disagree with it in that sense i think it just shows a lack of pacing that they didn't really get how they were going to put all these pieces together but they threw them all in anyway and just overstuffed the whole thing and i feel like it shows a a lack of efficiency. In I that heard end. somewhere that uh, Rob Zombie was originally trying to make two movies with this. He was trying to make one just on the origin story and another oh, oh, just an actual remake. Well, I'm just imagining if the pacing is bad in this one, how awful would that be split into two movies? Oh god, right. Ooh. The original is only an hour and a half, maybe a little over, and no, this it's, one it's is about, right, a, right about an hour and a yeah. half. And this one is two hours and so they put way too much in there without really giving anything interesting and I would feel very wary about the idea of it being in its own origin film and then doing the other oh, one. Oh yeah, I no, I, I cannot awful. I cannot imagine that whole that first thirty minutes extended into like an hour and a half or longer. Yeah, I'm just not a I'm honestly not a very huge fan of Rob Zombie's films. Haven't seen The Devil's Rejects, which I hear is supposed to be the best out of all of his, it but is, it, did not like House good. of a Thousand Corpses. I no, just... I've I haven't seen either of those. I've you know, like you, I've heard really good things about the Devil's Rejects, uh, bad things about House of a Thousand Corpses, and bad things about uh, the Lords of Salem. Oh, uh, right, which that I, came out two years ago, something like that. I uh, it's it's been longer than that, but yeah, I haven't heard great things. You know, this I've seen this one, and I saw the sequel to it. The sequel is much much messier than this. Overall, I I think that this movie is entertaining 
especially like some of the stuff with like the the stepdad at the beginning and then the the oversized mask because it's just so funny you know overall it's just not nearly as tight as john carpenter's halloween it's it's much messier yeah well i i think Rob Zombie really has two sides of the spectrum for his movies. You have the goofy, carnival, macabre stuff, and you get that heavy in House of a Thousand Corpses, which I agree is a really shitty movie. It's <laughs> it's really poorly made, not scary, just kind of annoying. I always dig Sid Haig, though. I always like seeing him and stuff. Yeah, and well, so, he's, he's much better in Devil's Reject, okay. which is a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, but a completely different movie, because the other side of the spectrum is like an obsession with like 70s grindhouse horror movies and b movies devil's reject really pushes to that side of it to its benefit and i feel like halloween kind of falls in the middle i think so too you know Um, it tries to do the 70s exploitation stuff semi straight face but at the same time it can't help itself but fall into some of the traps of the goofy and silly carnival type of stuff you know you get that with the big head mask you get that with the over the top dialogue the dialogue for the most part in this movie is pretty bad yes you know the, the acting can be good but the dialogue is not good yes there there are a couple of times when malcolm mcdowell delivers his lines where you can like see in his eyes that he's kind of pained that he has to say (laughs) that but i yeah like eugene said earlier malcolm mcdowell really shines in this like he's by far the best out of everybody because it's malcolm mcdowell right it's a shame that he's he's a great he's a great actor how did he get attached to this project because he's just i mean he seems like he should be miles above doing this kind of movie yeah, he should. He's been in some some really bad movies though. That's true. Um, but you know, I love Malcolm McDowell. I can't get enough of him. He always makes any bad movie better. I just want him to uh, quietly talk me to sleep every night. You know. <laughs> Well, I guess we should just jump into ratings. Yeah, this. I think we've uh, I think we've just about covered everything. Not to rehash what I said too much, but you know, really messy, but still entertaining uh, in its own right. Pretty much, except for the last fifteen twenty minutes. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this three and a half out of five just for uh, its entertainment value alone. Rob Zombie has definitely got some good horror sensibilities, even if he doesn't really. Quite quite know how to always like tightly put them together so well i did not enjoy this movie very much i think that it takes away from what made the first halloween so good and tries to do something different which doesn't work you got to admire that he wanted to try and explain michael myers but it was not very interesting for me to see how he came to be especially when the first movie focuses on that basically nowhere it does not try to really explain michael myers it except as the monster, the evil force that he is. And he's scarier that way, I agree with you. The the origin is unnecessary. There's just some entertaining stuff within that, not necessarily story-related. I feel like I should clarify that. A movie can be entertaining and not be good. You can, if you want to try and just watch a movie that you can laugh at and just sort of turn your brain off to, then this is certainly it. This is a late-night Halloween movie when you've already watched the good ones and you're just looking for something to laugh at so for me i'm gonna have to just give this two i think that it does have value in that sense but not very much for me well this is an interesting
interesting movie to rate because I think there's a lot of things it does well, but there's a lot of awful things in it. You know, like, they rip out all the subtlety from the original, which is, you know, a cardinal sin in a way. I thought, you know, they had some interesting ideas that they were playing with, you know, with the origin story of Michael, some of it worked for me. I think the problem with it, though, is because they showed the initial kills with him wearing not one but two masks, it just felt kind of redundant mm-hmm. throughout yes. the whole thing. I think if they would have built the mask thing in that section, it would have worked a little bit more effectively. But because they explained so much of who Michael Myers is and why he did what he did and does what he does, it really removed the teeth from the movie, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It made it feel toothless. And sure, a lot of the movie was entertaining, but it wasn't really scary. Oh, no. And that's one of the biggest problems I have with it. Felt a little misguided. I think Uh, the problem is that uh, Rob Zombie... Uh, subtlety is not in his vocabulary. Yeah, you know, even with his uh, with his music before he started making movies, and uh, Rob Zombie's uh, and White Zombie are both uh, pretty guilty pleasures for me. I I actually like Rob Zombie's music. I never I listened, fun, but I, I did see him live much. once. And, yeah, oh, that's oh, pretty really? sweet. Yeah, it no, was I, a cool show. So he's no, he's good for that uh, sort of you know over the top exploited. Oh, certainly, yeah, it uh, was over the top. He came riding out on like a giant skull with flames hell yeah fuck yeah that sounds awesome which i i can understand that like there is something to just that sort of that macabre style and all of that very cool i'd say but sometimes you need subtlety especially when you're making a film because the the subtlety balances the -the over-the-top stuff like you want to have a good mix of both and i think that's really his problem as a filmmaker well the interesting thing too is he tries to make this remake pretty straight-faced you know he tries to go pretty serious with a lot of stuff but he he captures some of what scares people from the first one but not why it scares people. yes so ultimately i i feel like this movie was a little misguided so i'll give it a two and a half out of five worth checking out at some point but definitely watch the original first absolutely oh, yes. so yeah. that gives our average rating uh 2.6 out of five pods all right so next we'll jump into awards uh i i have entitled the haddonfield invitational awards all right fantastic Um, so makes me feel like i'm back in high school handing out the (laughs) trophies you millennials all of you just need trophies and all of you want to give out trophies i just want you guys are misguided the only reason i ever did any kind of sports was for the uh participation trophies (laughs) you snowflakes not one Wanting to be killed by a psychopath. <laughs> Grow up. Yeah, what's wrong with all you? Get some backbones. We're going to call mine or something. Okay, so we have these two movies, the original and the remake. Out of the two, which one did you find more entertaining? Now that actually, that's a little tough because I think the first Halloween, since it's a slow burn, that it takes its time with a lot of stuff, that it can feel a little too quiet in a lot of places. Certainly there's so much buildup and suspense that leads around it that it's trying to be more of a horror film than any sort of comedy. That That is tough because the, the remake, there's a lot more to poke fun at or to talk about, but it's I'm, just not a good movie. So. It's it's not a great movie for sure, but I'm I'm going to go with the remake on this one just because i think it's a lot more fun 
the the original is definitely a uh, a more tightly constructed horror movie, but it's like you said, it's kind of slow at times, not to its detriment. You know, it's it's slow, it's subtle, um, it's trying to create more atmosphere than anything. Whereas with the Rob Zombie one, it's just kind of a hot, gooey, fun mess. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the uh, the remake for me. See, I'd probably actually say the original because while the remake is definitely funnier and has a lot of entertaining moments, by the the last half hour, it starts feeling its length. Yes, and a, and a lot of times it feels like a long movie. Yeah, but at and least that this kind of is... undercuts the entertainment value for me. This is something that well, Fear dot com was also two hours, but was an awful experience to try and drudge through. At least the remake. While it does drag at some points, it keeps a good enough pace where you're not tearing your hair out or anything, just waiting for it to finish. Yeah, by the last 15-20 minutes, it's like, okay, this needs to be over now. That's that's at the only point where I started getting exasperated. So, you say the original, Ben. Mm-hmm. I say the remake. What about you, Eugene? Yeah, that's a toughie. I... I think I will have to say the remake as well. Just it does have that fun in it. It's something that if you watch with friends, you're going to be able to talk about it. The first movie, not so much. So if we're talking about putting in the context of a movie you're looking for on a Saturday night to watch with a couple friends while drinking beers, the remake is certainly the one to do that too. Haha, we win. Give us money, Rob Zombie. (laughs) Sponsor our podcast, Rob, please. (laughs) I said I liked your music earlier. I used to listen to Dragula in high school all the time. <laughs> I saw you. I saw you live. You didn't see me, but I saw you. I've seen three of your movies. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Ooh, we must you. be some of your biggest fans. <laughs> Haven't met many others, so. Oh, all right, God. let's move so on. So scariest. This should be. Uh, I think this is pretty, pretty easy. Yeah, it is uh, easy. I mean, the original. original because yeah. it the original. Actually definitely. succeeds in trying to create a certain air around it, so. And because it leaves Michael as a blank slate, it really gives you a lot of room to project your own fears onto him. Whatever you really find scary, you can, you know, make him into that. It's still, you know, it's dated. I don't find it particularly frightening, but I do think it's definitely scarier than the remake. I think that's a problem because uh, there are a lot of people who would watch Halloween or even watch The Exorcist and they'll just find them boring snooze fests that they don't think there's anything scary or even exciting about any of those films, but people that enjoy this remake and they would actually consider it scary, so it's strange what people actually find terrifying. For a lot of contemporary audiences, they equate gore and blood with fear. And I understand for people who are not like big uh, big horror movie fans who will like go see them around this time of year and, you know, maybe are a little bit more squeamish with some of the gore. Because I feel like I've been so desensitized to this from all the horror movies that I've watched that like gore doesn't bother me at all. It can be fun, but I, it's not really scary, you know? So... Are we uh, are we all on the same page? The original is so. the scariest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so next one is best scene. This one might be a little trickier. My vote probably goes to the original uh, Don't Fear the Reaper scene, actually. When they're smoking a joint in the car and behind them, you can see Michael Myers driving behind them. I'm going to say the scene where he kills his sister in the remake with the oversized mask. (laughs) Because it's just so ridiculous. He looks like a fucking bobblehead. Like, the mask is even bobbling around like while he's stabbing her and i i haven't laughed that hard at a horror movie in a while so that's the highlight of that movie for me for sure that was a pretty hilarious scene god that's a a tough one i think i gotta say just out of the the way it made me feel uh i guess the whole scene when michael myers breaks out of the mental institution in the remake and i think maybe part of that is just because i think it's a little funny with danny trejo's character getting tossed around calling him mikey just waiting <laughs> for his life like no mikey like you're calling the main villain of the movie mikey that only hurts the whole impression of this character who already as we explained acts like a man child at least in the original they didn't go into too much about how he thought or behaved but in this one he sort of just boiled down to ooh me wear mask me fine sister kill danny trejo rusev machka (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, I I felt bad for Danny Trejo. He didn't do it. He didn't do anything wrong. Well, no, I think he, that's he, he a did strange <laughs> thing that I feel like might have actually added to the new new Michael Myers quote. If that's what Rob Zombie was going for, because we see that Michael Myers does have a side of sympathy for people who are kind to him. Only to his only to his mother and sister, though. His mother and his and and the baby, of course, because the baby hasn't done anything to him. But I mean, you even see he. Can kills those workers who are raping the girl in his room and you know they've been mean to him and it just seems like it would have been a side to his character that he does have this sort of sympathetic area in his head which if you're going to show him living in an abusive family you'd think they try and explore that that maybe all of it isn't exactly his fault but it doesn't really go any either way and so it just just falls apart I think any sort of understanding of where Michael Myers stands besides of course that they had to put in that he's looking for a sister which isn't a thing in the original because that I don't I don't think that was ever the plan to make them related that was just something they came up with in the numerous numerous sequels in the sequels yeah because it's definitely with. it's definitely not a part of the original movie i think it i think it does they do do that same story in the second one uh that follows up the 78 one but yeah they just decided to like throw this in into the new one who do you think was the best actor loomis was it malcolm mcdowell or donald pleasance Personally, I think Donald Pleasance really killed it. He did a great job. Donald Mal- Pleasance is good, but I like Malcolm McDowell's character a little more. He seems a little more fleshed out than Donald Pleasance. I'm going to go with Malcolm McDowell. Well, you know, I can understand where you're coming from because Donald Pleasance, I mean, he he's not just a, a complete, like, you know, frantic man trying to catch the criminal. You see that he, uh, that scene when he's in the bushes and he tells that kid to get away from the, the Myers house. And it's just one of those <laughs> silly really things. Funny. Like, he feels like a, much more like a real character, like a real person than I think Malcolm McDowell ends up being with his, the way he, like, almost sobs when he has to say goodbye to Michael. He's like, hey, you are my best friend. Well, yeah, that's that's a little corny, but I, no, I think there's more to Malcolm McDowell's character because 
we see that he does want to help Michael for a while, but, but at a certain point, be, but at a certain point, he becomes just exploitative. You know, like the the lines become blurred. If is he really trying to help Michael, or does he really just more care about his legacy from being like the doctor who took care of Michael Myers? You know, yeah. he's got that aspect of selfishness to him. So I, I think that makes him a little more yeah, interesting. He was a little too self-absorbed for me in the remake. I mean, in the original, it was pretty clear that he didn't ever really care about Michael Right, Myers. and he just saw him as the monster. Because so right. he, he immediately... Extends into everything else he does. And intelligently, you know, concluded that Michael was evil incarnate, which Malcolm McDowell kind of gets at with his book. The Eyes of the Devil. Yeah, in the whole origin sequence, you never really feel like he sees Michael as pure evil. Right. Until he does bad things and then he's like, oh, he he's evil. And then he brushes it off, you know, like with the, the fork thing, yeah. for example. He's like, oh, he's true evil. And then whatever. They don't care about it. Um, so yeah, I think Donald Pleasance was a better Loomis. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say Donald Pleasance as well. well I'm gonna say Malcolm McDowell, but alright. All right. Who do you think was a better Michael Myers? I have uh, to give the new movie props for making him so tall. Yeah, he's certainly like more six, imposing. Seven in this movie and really imposing. Yeah. But I think the fact that they made him talk and they undercut it by explaining... It's like in the original, he just looks like a gas station attendant with a mask on. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, he's wearing the coveralls from the, the right. tow truck that he stole. Uh, but he's still really tall in that, where they do the scene where he uh, kills the one girl's boyfriend friend by uh picking him up and putting him on the wall and then like stabbing him and he's pinned to the wall with the knife well i think they just they make him more imposing yeah well no he definitely he definitely feels bigger in in the remake like (laughs) he's he's, a big boy he's still tall in the first one or in the original but in the remake he feels more like broad-shouldered in the remake he clearly drinks his protein shake oh yeah yeah he's been he's been uh getting sweet and I mean, he's obviously hella strong because he carried a, a thousand pound gravestone <laughs> from, by himself from the cemetery back to the, the house. So I'm going to say, though, the original, just because they leave so much more to your interpretation um, that I, I think it's it's a he's a much more effectively scary killer in the first one. than Yeah, in the remake. I, I would agree. You know, they don't over explain. Yeah, I feel right. the same way. So. so the original. So, and best overall film, that should be obvious. Yeah. Right, Go watch yeah. the original. It's the Halloween. original. It's great. It's one of the most successful independent films ever made, and it's just yeah. something to really to look at and to And it really, admire. I think it really cemented uh, John Carpenter's legacy, too. Oh, yeah. If you want to get drunk, have fun, and roast a movie, watch the remake. Yeah, it's, it's but fun. But if you want to see a great movie, watch the original. Couldn't have said it better myself. So, Eugene, for the challenge last week, you unfortunately lost. Yes, that is right, unfortunately. uh, Matisse assigned you the movie Halloween 3. Yes. Season of the Witch. Halloween 3. Directed by one of the editors on the first Halloween film and apparently a close friend of John Carpenter, Tommy Lee Wallace, who also directed Fright Night Part 2, and he also directed It, the original TV movie back in the 90s. Huh. So, interesting. Yeah, he's he certainly he's had his experience in places 
depending on how you feel about the original, it might change your views on this movie. Well, it's not a very good movie, but it's definitely enjoyable. Yes. Yeah, no, certainly the original, it. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. I just saw that for the first time like a month or two ago, and it has its place in history, I guess. <laughs> But with this one, they wanted to try and do something different with the Halloween franchise rather than just doing the same formula with Michael Myers stalking Laurie Strode. That they wanted to do something with the Halloween series where they would have stories revolving around Halloween but make it about something other than Michael Myers. Which you do have to admire in a way. I don't know any other franchise that has actually tried to do that. To just completely shed itself of the previous films and to try and make Halloween more of an anthology series. Not just about Michael Myers. As an experiment that doesn't work out too well for them, but... I certainly admire the effort. The story in this is there is a toy company, uh, shit, Shamrock something. Sil uh, Silver Shamrock, silver, I think? Silver Shamrock, that's what it is. Halloween is coming up. You see these commercials everywhere in the movie for these masks, which are super popular with kids for some reason. They're the most generic masks that you could see. Like, it's a jack-o'-lantern, it's a witch, and then it's a skeleton. But apparently, people are going crazy and every kid in America has to have it. When did so, this when did this movie come out? This came out in 1980 82? Is that right? Like, yep, yep, 1982. Damn, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this came out in 1982. The screenplay was originally written by a sci-fi writer, someone that John Carpenter was a real big fan of, but unfortunately, one of the producers, Dino De Laurentiis, he wanted to rewrite scenes in it. He didn't think there was enough blood and gore, and apparently the writer said, take my name off of this. I want it nowhere involved with me. And so there were a bunch of rewrites that John Carpenter did, but they had to give the credit to somebody. Apparently, John Carpenter did not want to do it because he felt it wasn't his project. And so they gave the writing credit to Tommy Lee Wallace, who apparently did basically nothing with the script. Just seems like all of a mess in that way. It already wasn't setting itself up too great. The opening shot is a man running down a street and he has the mask in his pocket and he's being followed by these mysterious men in suits. He gets caught by one of them, and in a very odd death scene, he is being pinned down on the ground, and he's in some sort of auto shop garage area, and he pulls a block out from one of the cars, and it starts to slowly roll. It is very, very drawn out, <laughs> this car slowly crawling, and then it doesn't even really crush the person that's that's got him pinned down. It just sort of hits into him. You hear this really odd noise, like... Like, it's not really a squish. It's like a very synthy squish. And then he just lifts his head up and dies. And <laughs> the guy runs away. He escapes. He runs to a gas station. He gets taken over to a hospital. And that's where we're introduced to our main character, played by Tom Atkins. And he plays a doctor who takes care of him. He sees the dude that's brought in. One of the Silver Shamrock commercials plays, which wakes him up. And he go turns to Sam Atkins and he says, they're going to kill us all. Already right there that plants the seed for Sam Atkins to try and figure out what he's talking about. Later I, take it, I take it there's something uh, sinister about this uh, mask company or whatever. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which... 
well, <laughs> it's it's pretty ridiculous what it ends up being. What happens is one of those men in the suits come to the hospital. Tom Atkins is taking a nap, so he's not paying attention. The guy in the suit comes in and rips, like, half of the guy's face, like, apart. Like, he squishes his hands into his eyes. So it looks like he's trying to first, like, poke his eyes out. And then he, like, lifts it up. It's like he's, like, trying to rip it apart. It looks very odd, and I don't and really is, get how the murder occurred, but... This is just a guy, right? Like, he's not, like, supernatural or anything. Well, he just pulls this guy's face well, off? Well, now, see, that's, uh, that's, that's something that I will have to get into. Oh, okay, well, ex- excuse me. After... The The man in the suit walks out. Tom Atkins hears the nurse scream, sees the man walking out of the building. He chases him down. The man in the suit gets into his car, pours a tank of gasoline all over him, and then immediately lights himself on fire. (laughs) What? Yeah, yeah. It's it's very strange. He just... He goes up in flames. The car explodes. It's what? Yeah. <laughs> what? And so he's he he's he's confused. He doesn't understand what's. What, I'm confused what just happened. too. Yeah. And also, there's a subplot where he's like a, a neglectful father. He doesn't pay very much attention to his kids. And so, is he an alcoholic? Yes. Yes, he is. Oh my god! I was, I was kidding. He doesn't drink very much, but they do make a point about his drinking, oh which is god. which is strange. Yeah, it's not even like he's. A raging alcoholic or anything. They're just like, oh, a drinking doctor. Beautiful combination. <laughs> so he has to try and figure, he wants to figure out what happened with all this. And the daughter of the man who was murdered comes to identify the body. She eventually meets up with Tom Atkins again because she wants to figure out what happened. And so does Tom Atkins. He's invested in trying to understand because, you know, in all his years as a doctor, he's never seen something as strange as this. One, uh, they they think that the guy might have been on drugs, the man in the suit, and he says something along the lines of, they're they're saying he's on drugs, but he looked like a businessman. So businessmen can't be on drugs. Weird. Yeah, businessmen don't do drugs. Everybody knows that. Again, he's trying to figure out what's going on. And then he finds out the man that was murdered uh, ran like a costume store that had the silver shamrock masks in stock. The daughter puts she's been doing some detective work (laughs) and she finds out that he was supposed to pick up a shipment of masks. From their main warehouse, the the place where they manufacture all of the masks. And so they have to go into the town and investigate. And that's when it gets really strange. Because you find out it's one of those company towns where everyone living there basically is is employed by the company. And they're all Irish. And, and the, the shamrock thing? Is that why that is? Yeah, it's like the entire town is filled with Irish people. They all came over to work for this company. I knew you couldn't trust those potato (laughs) bastards. (laughs) And so there's already that, um, the, the more, more mystery grows as, uh, as they come into this town and understand more of this company. There are two other people there that they see, and there is a family of three. It's a mother, father, and a child. The father also owns a, a costume store, and he's there to talk business. And another woman who's there to pick up a shipment. 
So does everybody in this movie own a costume store? Apparently, I guess right. you either you either sell costumes or you're a doctor. Okay, and apparently the only two jobs that this, exist. The owner of the company is one of the richest men in America, just for making Halloween masks. Which how do you make a business off that? You see, in almost every town, when the Halloween stores come up, they're gone after a month. Well, yeah, they they're all pop up stores because yeah. you can't you can't sell Halloween costumes all year. Around. Right. You, you will make no money. So you just, you you wonder how that makes any sense. I mean, sure, it's a movie, so let's let's imagine for a second that Halloween is one of the most profitable holidays uh, in America. During that night, one of, uh, the woman who's there to pick up her order finds the little, there's a little silver disc that's put on the back of every mask. It falls off of, her, falls off of hers, but she finds a microchip. What? Yeah, and oh. She starts, she starts poking around with a hair clip. Like, I don't know what she was planning to do. Like, is she going to read anything <laughs> off of it by poking around with a clip? But what happens is a burst of electricity zaps from the disc onto her mouth. It tears it apart. That's one of the cool things about this movie. It actually does have some pretty cool effects. And so her mouth is all torn apart. You see her teeth and her eyes are, are blood red because of the electricity. And then a bug crawls out of her mouth what right so so this is i've never seen a microchip do that before <laughs> so this is when you begin to understand more of what is at play here it's some force within the masks that can kill a lot of workers from the warehouse they come over they take her in a stretcher and they they move her out they meet the boss of the company as well and then they overhear him saying to one of the uh, the workers what happens like it was a misfire well i feel like i got to just really get down to the meat of this i don't want to focus too much on explaining everything I did not mention this in the beginning because I think it would give it away immediately. I certainly did not know it would play into the story when I saw it. But earlier in the film, you see on TV a pillar from Stonehenge has been stolen and that they have no idea. Yeah, oh, yeah so you gotta, you gotta hang in there. Okay. And so it turns out that Silver Shamrock stole the pillar of Stonehenge and is putting pieces of Stonehenge into those little, those little discs. To every single mask that they make. And it's because when the electricity bursts into their head, it causes mystical forces of Stonehenge, like bugs and snakes, to come out of their heads. And it's not actually clear why that is his master plan. Also, that all the men in suits, they're robots. They're androids made by the company. Oh, my God. Because so he, this... he has some sort of obs obsession with, like, he has, like, an automaton from, like, the 1800s. And so he has some sort of obsession with all that kind of stuff. See, now, what, what's confusing, at least to me, about that is that if he has the ability to make lifelike androids, you'd think that that's what he'd be focusing on making his money off of rather than Halloween masks. Yeah, well... <laughs> And apparently it's, you know, with the fact that they're all Irish, it has to do with, like, sort of the Celtic uh, mystical forces that still exist in the world. And so it's but, meant to be some sort of grand big sacrifice. You but, know, Stonehenge, like, but Stonehenge is in England. Well, I mean, yeah, it certainly doesn't make any sense to, to have Stonehenge. It's just, it's such a, it's a wild reason. And the fact that they implement Stonehenge is so ridiculous. And again, I didn't think it would come into play with the film because 
why would I? <laughs> why would I think that <laughs> right. that would happen? After that reveal, they test it and they play the commercial that you see throughout the entire movie. For some reason, all these kids are obsessed with the commercials. Like, there isn't a show or anything to it. They just want to watch the commercials and they're telling kids to be inside at nine to watch their commercial. To watch the commercial. <laughs> and so that way, when they watch it, it activates the disc in their head. And you see it in a scene with the, the kid of the family that comes to the factory. He's wearing the mask. It starts to rot away and he starts to like thrash around and he falls down and then snakes and bugs start crawling out of his head, which is, is a very dumb scene where the husband gets bit by a snake and so it's, you know, it's implied that he dies from that. But the wife just passes out, and then it's also implied that she died. So what's the end game here? Like, See, that's, what the- that's the thing. It's not made very clear. I think it's meant to just be some sort of sacrifice. I've heard other ideas that it was so that way they could put in more androids in the world. But how does that make sense to make robot children? What? So it seems like that... Is that is a person trying to explain the nonsense behind the whole idea. But I think as a whole, it's meant to just be one great ancient sacrifice of all these children. To what end, though? What is the sacrifice supposed to accomplish? I don't know. They, okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> They're like, uh, do you really know what Halloween is all about? And all that kind of nonsense. But Yeah, candy. They never really explain what the end game is for this entire operation. And so what is one of the silliest points in the film, already this movie's ridiculous, he finds a box of all of the discs that they have. And he knows that they're trying triggered by the commercial, he manages to sneak in and turn on the commercial in the base, which while it's playing, you see the doctors just not reacting at all. And they just, they just leave it on. And then he goes up to the rafters and tosses all of the discs down on them. And then lasers just start shooting off everywhere and attacking all of them. And it is so dumb. (laughs) And then uh, a circle is formed with all the computer screens and then that starts the glow blue and then Stonehenge starts the glow blue as well and the boss is right in between the middle of those and then a beam of light hits him they show a close up of him and he it looks like they just poured a bunch of paste on his face he looks like a plaster model and it's not really explained what happened but then he disappears uh, he fades away okay so i guess my next question um what does this movie have to do with witches? Well, I think... Because it's called Season of the Witch. I think that part is probably just the the, the mystical side of whatever the ritual Stonehenge that thing. they're... Yeah, that they're preparing, okay. so... That seems I think, pretty messy. Yeah, very, very messy. He runs away, he finds the, the girl he came with, and he, he brings her along, and then as they're escaping, it turns out that she's been replaced with an android as well. Oh. And so there's one final struggle he gets out a tire iron and he decapitates her (laughs) he swings it and knocks her head right off which these androids they haven't been very tough there's a scene where he just like he's not even punching he's just pressing his fist down into the stomach of one of these androids and he bursts through and it's like tapioca or something (laughs) that comes out of their mouths it's honestly it's very schlocky very goofy all of those effects commercial starts playing it's it's getting up to the scene when the um the discs are supposed to go off. It's this flashing jack-o'-lantern that you see. Then the movie ends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. It 
I really do admire the fact that they wanted to try and do something different with to make Halloween not just about Michael Myers, but more about just Halloween. Well, yeah, it seems like they really took a like a dramatic left turn. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, and another thing. I mean, they want to separate themselves so much that on two separate occasions, they show footage from the Halloween films. No. The Halloween movies are supposed to exist within their world as movies. Okay. And so that way it has no connection, no relation to any characters, to any events that happens, because those are movies in this universe. And so you could tell, I mean, if it had succeeded, that they really wanted to cement the idea that this was going to be a change in the Halloween series. But it took over six years after this movie to make another Halloween film. Wow, six years. Holy shit. It must have been a real blow just to the whole concept concept of what they wanted to do with this it just has such a nonsense plot the reveal that occurs is just so strange and was it not fun? explained was it well? fun at least yes i certainly i i enjoyed this movie i enjoyed the experience of watching it the same cinematographer from um, the first halloween and i know he's worked on a bunch of other john carpenter films he worked on this, and so all of it looks really good. And John Carpenter still did the music, right, on this one? Well, it says that I he did, that. but I don't know if that's just a matter of he's included because they have some music cues from the original Halloween. So I'm not sure how involved he was in this soundtrack. Certainly nothing's very stellar about the soundtrack. The opening credits, I think, have a pretty interesting sort of techno-style opening. But otherwise than that, it doesn't really have much else going for it its soundtrack. And so you really can't look at this as a Halloween film. If you do, well, you are definitely going to be disappointed. (laughs) And if you look at this as its own standalone film, it could be fun. It could be another one of those movies you watch just to talk about with your friends, just to poke fun at, just drink a couple beers too. And so if I did have to give this a rating, which I will, and I do, I would give it a three star rating because I think that it, it, it certainly is not it's not a bad experience. Like, it's just... I might have to check it out. Kind of a hot, convoluted mess. Exactly. It sounds right. It sounds pretty entertaining, yeah. I must say. You've kind of sold me on it. I, I mean, the fact that they put little pieces of Stonehenge into <laughs> yeah, all these masks for this mystical power for snakes and bugs to crawl out of their heads. It's a, a wild idea. And Well, so, yeah, haven't you ever heard that if you go to Stonehenge and you break open one of the rocks... It's lightning just, it's, will zap out it's into just your face. Full it's just full of snakes. Yep. St. <laughs> Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland and right into Stonehenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, it so. seems it seems to me that it was because of the failure of this movie that they decided to take the franchise back to Michael Myers. Right. I think if this had been a better movie, then they would have maybe continued on with the Halloween series as like an anthology. Yeah, but instead I- they were just like, oh, fuck it. Let's go back to Michael Myers. And I honestly would have been interested in seeing how that would play out. I think uh, definitely worth the watch, but go into it knowing that it is not going to make any sense (laughs) and it is not about Halloween. Okay. So... (laughs) 
All right, that about wraps that up. So, yes, uh, Ben, you, you want to give us our game for this week? All right, our gamer. Halloween game. game our time. Halloween spectacular Fantastic. game. Spooktacular. So, the game is called Original or Remake, and I've pulled some trivia, some quotes from both movies, and yet to decide whether it's from the original or from the remake. So, question number one, or... Spook number one. Oh, I'm getting getting shivers up my spine. Um, This movie had difficulties getting pumpkins as it was shot in April. I'm going to say, I'm going to say original. I'm going to say remake. It was the original. Ah, Cha-ching. One point for me. Damn it. Because I I feel like that would be something that was completely overlooked in the remake. It's like, oh, God, where do we get pumpkins? (laughs) Yeah, Rob, well, Rob probably... Zombie, Rob Zombie, almost certainly has his own pumpkin patch that he grows <laughs> all year round. He probably has a large collection of fake pumpkins in his basement. Yeah, <laughs> is, I I feel like this man lives Halloween all year round. Absolutely. Okay, uh, number two. This movie was released in late August. Well, I'm gonna have to say the remake. On I'm gonna that say one. the remake yeah. too. And you both are correct. Yeah, sweet. I, yeah, I, I, I know the original came out in October. So yeah. it's I and I seem to recall this movie coming out in around around that time in August. Yeah, apparently they ago. didn't want to compete with Saw. I oh, think wow. it was like Saw Four. That yeah, because Saw Three or Saw One came out in 2003. And this came out in 2007, so yeah, that would have been Saw 4. Yeah. That makes that makes a lot but of sense. At the same time, does it make any sense that <laughs> you're releasing a Halloween movie in August? Right. Right. Come on. Okay, now I'm going to quote Loomis, and you have to tell me which movie this came from. His eyes will deceive you. They will destroy you. They will take from you your innocence, your pride. And eventually your soul. These eyes do not see what you and I see. Behind these eyes, one only finds blackness. <laughs> the absence of light. Um, these are the eyes of a psychopath. Remake. Yeah, remake. Yeah. God, okay. I remember that. Yep. <laughs> I, and I, I think the only reason that I remember that so well is because uh, when young Michael tells Loomis that uh, his favorite color is black, uh, Loomis goes on that tangent about black not being oh, the color right. it's the absence of color and light so that that makes that one a little easy yeah i'm still up eugene yeah i know goddamn number four the young michael myers from this movie went on to become a cop oh mm. i'm gonna say remake i'm gonna say original it is the original. Oh, oh yes. All right. Tie game. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, with the remake, he's still pretty young. He's probably well, in well his right. 20s, but the, so. yeah, this came this came out ten years ago. He could still have become a yeah, cop. Yeah. Well, he has the he acting probably... chops to become a cop. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well that, not to of... continue acting, <laughs> but probably to become a cop. All right. What's okay. Next? Number five. If you look closely, you can see palm trees in the background of this film. Ooh. Um, I'm going to say original. <sighs> Shit. Uh, I think it'd just be good if we, we say different ones. I'm going to have to say remake. It is the original. Ah. Yeah, I learned that in the horror class I took in college, I that they shot this in California. Yeah. They shot oh, the original in California, so you can see palm trees in the background. So I, I I knew that one already. Uh, Sorry, Eugene. Nope, nope, it's all good. Well, I was I did have a tiebreaker, but we don't need it. Yeah, looks like 
Matisse got this one no, yet again. Oh, not again! Next episode will be our Saw episode. Yeah, we'll be talking about uh, Saw and the uh, torture porn genre. Torture porn. Gornography. Gornography. Um, you know, I'm actually pretty torn on this one between giving you uh, a movie that's really, really bad or giving you one that's really good. Nah, that I dude. Think you should lay see. it on me. Give me the bad. You want the bad? Yeah, give me the bad, man. <laughs> Alright, well, I, I got a couple options to think about, oh, but boy. I, you know, I think... <laughs> If you want, if you want the bad, I do want the bad. All right, I'm I'm gonna say you need to uh, you need to watch Texas Chainsaw 3D. Oh, Ooh. okay, the one that came out uh, like 2012, I think 2012, 2013. Ooh, yeah, it's okay. it's a fucking hot mess. I've seen it before, and if you want the bad boy, are you gonna get it? <laughs> oh, all right. Texas Chainsaw 3D. Shit. Well, yeah, so our next episode will be all about horror movies. That's right. <laughs> our next episode of our horror podcast will be all about <laughs> horror movies. In a drastic turn of events. <laughs> In a drastic turn of events, this is now a wrestling podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about tables, ladders, and chairs. <laughs> What so. did you think about Kurt Angle <laughs> taking Roman Reigns' place in the shield? Man, I'm waiting until they introduce meningitis as a heel. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, um, but yeah, next episode. Uh, next episode will be all about Saw and the torture porn genre. Um, so we'll cover a few different movies from the genre. Right. As well as the new Jigsaw movie. Yeah. Yes, who would have thought that would happen again? First Saw movie in what, like five or six years? Yeah. Well, it's really been that long. Long, maybe longer. Yeah. Well, they oh, made a big emphasis on the last one, uh, billing it as like the final chapter. Well, well right. It was Whatever. it was Saw the final chapter. Yeah. So it, uh, it was it was very bad too. It was it didn't help. Uh, yeah. We'll have a special guest on Cleveland. He will be helping us try to dissect these movies. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, check us out on all of the platforms. As we mentioned last time, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere other than Spotify, which coming we're still soon. coming soon. Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review on uh, your preferred platform. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Pod People Pod, on both of those. You know, start up a conversation. We want to hear from the community. Uh, reach out to us. Let us know what you think give us your thoughts on the halloween movies or Tell us anything why else you think rob zombie is a master director um and also tell us how you feel about rob zombie's wife sherry moon zombie give us all the sweet sweet details in your brain uh, shout out again to Ben for doing our entrance music, uh, which yes, is great. Very uh, John Carpenter inspired. Uh, check out his stuff on SoundCloud, Spotify, Bandcamp, Eaten by Nostalgia. And before we get going, we want to drop one more exciting plug. Um, ben and I do some work for a very small indie game company, Light Arc Studios, and we're excited to announce the newest game that is on the horizon 
called It Stares Back, which is a horror game, a uh, indirect sequel from our last game, Castle Battles, available on Steam, the App Store on iPhone, uh, and Google Play as well. Check that out and follow Light Arc Studios on Twitter and YouTube to see uh, some of the stuff that's going to be going into this game. Check out the super cool trailer that dropped today, too. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, that'll be bad. that'll be on uh, on the Light Arc Twitter and uh, on the YouTube page as well. And I'm sure Ben and I will be retweeting those. So follow me at Mr. Van Awesome. I'm Mr. Sheets on Twitter. I got nothing to plug. Don't. Don't go to my Twitter. Don't go to the Haiku page. I haven't updated it in years. They're pretty, <laughs> yeah, but they're the ones that are up there are pretty damn good, I must say. Yeah, check it out. Eugene, our master of Haiku. Plug, plug your uh, LinkedIn. Oh, I have a LinkedIn. <laughs> that is true. Uh, don't go on that. I haven't updated it in years. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you put up some uh, some topical Halloween themed haikus? I think everybody would love. I to heard see your that. friendster is popping off. Yeah, you know you can also check out my MySpace page too. <laughs> I will put you on my top eight friends list just if you friend me because if you're, I don't if you're, have any. If you're in the Milwaukee area, uh, check out my Tinder. Swipe right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Yeah, well, bye. I'm Matisse Van Rossum. <laughs> I'm Ben Sheets. I'm Eugene Lundin. Have a great Halloween. Happy Halloween. Eat lots of candy. Trick or treat. Trick or treat.